Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, August the 2nd, 2023. It is currently 6.28 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I know it's Wednesday evening. Theoretically, in theory, usually, I should be on my way right now driving to Victory Baptist Church located in Ovalo, Texas, where I'd be standing behind the pulpit instead of sitting behind a microphone. And from that pulpit, well, we should be, for this Wednesday, we should be getting ready to study the book of Jeremiah. Things did not work out that way this evening. So here I am in the studio instead of behind the pulpit. But guess what? We're still working on the book of Jeremiah. We just spent a little over an hour just a few minutes ago doing a work. We worked through Jeremiah chapter 14 and Jeremiah chapter 15. Now, what we have in front of us for the rest of this evening is Jeremiah chapter 16 and Jeremiah 17. This is a part of the Bible study exercise podcast series, and we have dedicated the summer of 2023 to study the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations and to finish both by the end of August. Clearly, we are way, way, way behind, but I can't worry about how far behind we are. What I can worry is trying to deliver the best teaching I can with what we have in front of us. So what we have in front of us is the rest of August, and we're going to make use of it. And we are using this evening, and we are very grateful because through the Bible ministries of of the late Dr. J. Vernon McGee, they uh, allowed us to use their content. Now, I, I can use it by just playing it. But we're not doing that uh, this evening. We're using uh, the teaching of Dr. J. Vernon McGee, his teaching on Jeremiah 14, 15, 16, and 17. And we're utilizing it just kind of as a starting point. And then I'm offering my own critique, my own analysis, my own additions. And hopefully it's been beneficial. If you go, if you go back and listen to what we just did, I think we had a lot of fun in Jeremiah 14 and 15. I think I offered a really interesting perspective on the false prophets. I gave you a little bit of homework about identifying the 13 famines found in Scripture. Uh, We talked about, does God's word bring joy and rejoicing to your heart in times of trouble? We looked at some very interesting points in that, and and hopefully it was beneficial. But now, we have Jeremiah 16 and 17 in front of us. We have the words of Dr. J. Vernon McGee to kind of guide us. He's going to kind of be, well, he's kind of, he's going to take us in one direction. I may take us in a separate direction, but you're going to benefit from all of this content. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Jeremiah chapter 16, and let's get ready to do this. Let's get ready to study. Let's get ready to learn, and let's see if we can get all the way through chapter 17 by the time this episode ends. Would that not be, would that be wonderful? That would be wonderful. The goal is on Sunday behind the pulpit to work on Jeremiah 18, maybe Sunday school, 18, maybe Sunday morning, 19, and maybe Sunday night, 20. That's that's theoretical right now. I haven't really dug into that to see exactly how I want to break it down, but we will see. And we're going to start trying to probably move through some of these chapters a little bit faster than maybe we have, unless... Unless you, the listener, you, the student, unless you raise your hand and go, but, 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 I need, we need to do some work on this chapter or this, these five verses. 
I got no problem dedicating as much time as you would like because the goal is to benefit you. But if no one is saying anything, then I have to just kind of drive. I have to drive at the pace that I think is best, but you can slow the car down at any time. So uh, let me know. All right. Are you ready? Dr. J. Vernon McGee, once again, we are grateful that their ministry gave us approval to use the content. Again, they they would let me just play it, but we're using it in a different way. We're kind of using a, like a sermon review where we're using critique and analysis, and then it's becoming transformative because I'm going in my own direction with it. So really, that kind of falls under more like fair use. But because they gave approval, then we don't even have to worry about the fair use. So um, hopefully, hopefully this will all be beneficial, helpful, and uh, we'll learn a lot. So book of Jeremiah, chapter 16 and 17. I don't think this is going to take long because... I don't know. He's got like, I don't know, like 18 minutes of audio, maybe 20 minutes of audio left, or at least I thought it was. My my settings here changed a little bit. So now I don't know exactly how much time is left, but uh, he's supposed to go from 16 to 19. So even if there's 31 minutes left, that's 31 minutes for four chapters. So he's going to be going through these two relatively quick. So maybe this is going to be fast, but you know what can happen. He may go fast. I may go slow. But we'll, we'll try to benefit. So deep breath. Jeremiah 16 and 17. Focus. Thinking caps on. Let's dig into the word of God. Here we go. Now the days are getting more difficult now. The nation is coming to the end of its rope. I take it that they're right now in 10 years of the destruction of Jerusalem at this particular time. It couldn't have been much longer than that. Now, listen what he says to him. Chapter 16 now, verse 1, The word of the Lord came also unto me, saying, Thou shalt not take thee a wife, neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. For thus saith the Lord concerning the sons and concerning the daughters that are born in this place and concerning their mothers that bear them, and concerning their fathers that begat them in this land, they shall die of grievous deaths. They shall not be lamented, neither shall they be buried, but they shall be as dung upon the face of the earth, and they shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, and their carcasses shall be meat for the fowls of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. Now, I want you to see this. First of all, I want you to see the cost that Jeremiah has to pay here. For Jeremiah to be obedient to the call that God has put on his life, he can't even get married. He can't get married, can't have children. He can't experience any of that. He has to sacrifice that for, for what God calls him to do. And many times God's calling, God's, God's law on our, for, you know, his demands, his law does not take account of your emotions, feelings, or desires, which is really, really, really sometimes we don't like that. But Jeremiah experiences that. And not only that, I want you to see these people under the God, uh, God's law where he's demanding holiness and perfection. They're going to die. Okay, listen to what's going to happen. They shall die of grievous deaths. They shall not be lamented. Neither shall they be buried, but they shall be as dung upon the face of the earth. When we when we put our lives up to God's law, that's what we deserve to be killed and to just be thrown as dung across 
the face of the earth. We should be consumed by the sword and by famine and by carcasses shall be meat for the fowls of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. Under God's law, it always ends up in death and judgment because we cannot keep the law. So what is the hope for Judah? Judah? What is the hope for Israel? The hope is something other than obeying the law because they never are going to do so. What is your hope? Not the law. It's the gospel. It's what Christ has done for you. All right. So that's a vivid picture of life under the law. It ends in death. Ends up you being as dung upon the face of the earth. That is graphic, horrible language that should scare you to death going, if it's me, if I'm, it's my life laying next to God's law, that's, I'm going to end up the same way. Death and destruction. My only hope is gospel. It's only hope is God to do for me what I cannot do for myself and that he has to save me and he has to do so by an imputed righteousness, not a righteousness that I can cooperate with or even perform because I'm going to fall short. And friends, I say to you that that's a very horrible sort of thing. Now, why did God say to this man, you're not to get married? Well, I think it's quite obvious why he's saying this to him. Because if you would go over to the 137th Psalm, you would find over there that they took the little ones and dashed their heads against a stone. That's what happened when Nebuchadnezzar took the city. Will you listen to Psalm 137, verses 8 and 9? O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. That's what had happened to their own. You see, the fact of the matter is that it's best under certain circumstances not to bring children into the world. And today, I'm not sure. My heart goes out to these little ones. I look at my grandson and actually tears come in my eyes. I think I'm going to make it through all right, but I don't know about him. And so I'm praying for him, you see. God says to Jeremiah, don't you get married. I don't want you to raise children in this place. And there is a time for that. A great deal could be said right there. Now, he has a bright note in here, and we need to note it. It's in chapter 16, verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, The Lord liveth, that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth, that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, from all the lands whither he had driven them, and I will bring them again into their own land, that I gave unto their fathers. He looks down the future, and he sees the end of the tunnel. It never got so dark, but what? The prophets didn't see the light. And the darker it got, the brighter the light was. And God says, the day is coming when I'm going to bring them back into the land. And Jeremiah lets them know that. And what a And that promise of being restored to the land... This is, is it only for the southern kingdom of Judah or is it for the northern kingdom as well? Are they both going to be brought back to the land? And it's this promise of being brought back to the land. Was it ever fulfilled completely? Look at all the promises about being restored to the land and all the things that are supposed to be happened. 
happened when they're restored to the land? Was it fulfilled when they came out of Babylonian captivity? Because a lot of those promises saying you're going to be in the land and no one's going to ever disturb you again. Never, no one's ever going to do anything to you again. Is, was that fulfilled in the, Babel, the return of uh, Babylonian captivity? Because obviously they come back in the Babylon captivity, but when you open the New Testament, they're already under Rome's hill in a sense. They're already under the foot of Rome. So it doesn't last very long. And then they're destroyed in 70 AD. Now, does that mean that all of these promises dealing with land have yet been fulfilled? Now, do you then say, nope, they're not going to get literal land and nope, these promises aren't for them. They go to the church and it's figurative. I think there are literal promises to literal Israel that have not been literally fulfilled, but they have to be and they will be. That's, and I, I know that's a massive division in eschatology, but I, that's something you, you, you can just, just you, what you could do is you could just spend a lot of time looking at every passage in the Bible that speaks of their Israel's restoration, being regathered in the land, and all that's going to happen for them and see, is, has that ever been fulfilled in any meaningful way? And I think you're going to say, no, it hasn't. And then you have to ask yourself, well, then what do I do? You've got two options. Sorry, Israel, those promises aren't actually for you. They go to the church or they have to be fulfilled literal and it's got to be somewhere in the future. Wonderful thing that is now verse 21 of chapter 16. Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. And I'm of the opinion that God is going to have to teach this country that he's the Lord, that he's God. They don't believe he's out there today. And I'm afraid when he makes it known it's going to be very impressive. Now, I want you to notice what is coming up in chapter 17. This is the message of this unmarried prophet. And he continues on. In verse 1, he says, In chapter 17, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with a point of a diamond. It's graven upon the table of their heart from the horns of their altars. It was even in their religion. They were evil in everything that they did. Verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. That might be well for some of us to put up as a motto today, those of us who think certain men are to be depended upon, uncertain parties can work out the problems of the world, and if this comes to pass or that comes to pass, that some man might do, my friend, you and I are cursed people if we're going to trust a man. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. How people need to hear that in two different ways. Are you ready? I'm going to read that again. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. When you trust in man. Now, one, in some ways, people try to trust in themselves. They trust in what they do and how they obey God to somehow prove that they're saved. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your obedience. Don't trust in your practical rights. Your only trust is not in the flesh. It's not in you. It's in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Second, 
Do not put your trust in man and what they can supposedly fix all of our problems. And too many people have put their trust in, well, a certain Republican presidential candidate who's been indicted like 70 times now, right? Uh, A certain man by the name of Donald Trump. Many Christians treat him as the savior, the one we have to trust in. And it doesn't matter what he does. If he's indicted 150 times, doesn't matter what. Nope, it doesn't matter. We just say it's all fake. It's it's all a lie. It's all political. And we just ignore, maybe we shouldn't be trusting in a man. Maybe we should be trusting in God. And I know that's going to get me in trouble either way, but stop trusting in yourself and stop trusting in politicians. Stop trusting in pastors. There you go. Stop trusting in celebrity pastors. Stop trusting in unknown pastors. Trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. All right, let's continue. This is a day to trust God. Now, he says that. Verse 7, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. God says that you'll be blessed if you'll trust him. He'll be like a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green. Oh, to trust them. Now he says here, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, a couple of things. Remember, the Septuagint translation of Jeremiah 17.9 is radically different, which leads to lots of debates. We're not going to be able to resolve that right now. But just know this. Don't trust in man, and don't trust in your own heart. Don't trust in your flesh. Don't trust in your heart. Don't trust in man. Trust in God. You can't even trust in your own heart because it is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You cannot trust in your own heart. Don't trust in your emotions. Don't trust in your desires. Don't trust in your motivations. Trust in Christ and his finished work. You can't trust in anything else. That's your heart. That's my heart. We've all got heart trouble, unfortunately, and it's a bad case of heart trouble. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God says, I intend to judge them. Now, only God can make a heart transplant. Apparently, man's not able to make that type of thing work yet. God's been able to make it work a long time. He gives you a new heart, he says, when you come to him. Oh, boy. Here we go. We're back to that debate. We've had this debate, not really a debate. We've had this discussion for years now on this podcast. When you become a Christian, do you get a new heart? Now, if you get a new heart, then your old heart is gone. So now your heart is no longer desperately wicked. Your your heart is no longer deceitful above all things. Is that now no longer true of you? If you have a new heart, that would seem to indicate the eradication of the old nature. And if you have a new heart, meaning the old nature is gone, then what is possible and plausible in your life would be spiritual perfection. And if you can't be spiritually perfect, why not? Because you've got a new heart. You say, well, because sometimes I don't want to. Well, where is the not wanting to coming from if you have a new heart? And if the new heart is not desperately wicked and not deceitful above all things, then you should be basically sinless. 
Now, some people say, well, we have a new heart, but we have the old nature. Well, the, the nature is not connected to the heart. Or do you have two hearts? Do you have a new heart and the old heart? Do you have both? Do you have a new heart, old nature? The old heart's gone, but a new heart's there, but the old nature remains. Like, how is the heart and the nature connected? I, I, I think there's major issues here. Now, a lot of people say, well, the new covenant language talks about a new heart. It does. But that specifically seems to be referencing Israel. Yes, when Israel will be saved, that has to be something future. If you connect it to no, when you get saved, you get a new heart. I don't know how you, I don't know how you work. Like nobody ever maps it out. I need an, I need a map. I need a chart of the inside of a saved person, right? Supposedly we have the Holy Spirit there. He's supposed to be giving us strength. The old heart is supposedly gone. We're supposed to have a new heart. I don't know if the old nature is still there or not there because nobody seems to ever be able to articulate it. But then I'm told you still can't be sinless. Well, wait a minute. I, if I got all of that, why can't I be sin? Well, I mean, you're still going to sin. Why am I still sinning? Well, because, well, the old nature is there. Well, if the old nature is there, then why, then what is, how do I have a new heart if the old nature is there? And is the new heart greater than the old nature? And if the Holy Spirit's also giving me power, like, can someone just take the time to break it down? I've heard everything in the world, and it's usually contradictory depending on the sermon that you're preaching. One minute, you've got a new heart. You've got power. You can do it. And then it'll be another sermon saying, you still have the flesh, and you still will sin, and you will still struggle with sin. Well, wait a minute. You just preached five minutes ago something completely different. Now, a lot of people will go, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. All things have become new. Well, if all things have become new and the old is completely gone, then clearly you do not have a sinful nature. Therefore, you should be able to be perfect. Well, since no one can be perfect, maybe we should pause and, and check how we interpret that. I think the way it is, is that in Christ, I'm a new creature. That is speaking of the truth of my positional standing before Christ. I'm a new creature. The old is gone because all of Christ's perfection is imputed to me. And I stand before God as a new creature. In practice, I'm still very much an old creature with an old heart, with an old nature who will continue to struggle and will continue to sin until glorification, where then my position and what I am practically, boom, finally become one. Right now, there's a massive contradiction between my position and my practice. A new life, born again, given a new nature. That's what God says that he does. And Now take all of that. Supposedly when you get saved, you have a new heart, a new nature, and now you've been made alive. Well, if all of that is true, why do we sin? <laughs> that, that would be the eradication of the old. All the old would be gone. Well, then why does anyone still sin? Nobody ever, oh, it drives me crazy how no one ever bothers to try to really take this to its logical conclusion. Either you have to believe in sinless perfection or you got to rethink what we really, what really happens in salvation and understand a positional reality versus a practical reality. This is something I've done and I think many ministers and evangelists do it. We say to people, give your heart to the Lord. 
Well, now, let's look at that a moment. What do you think God wants with that old, dirty, filthy heart of yours? Don't bring it to him. He doesn't want it. He wants to give you a new one. That's the important thing. And that's the thing he says, why the heart's deceitful. He's a heart specialist. He's a great physician. Now we come to a great verse. Verse 12, a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Now that's the hope of this man. He turns them away from man, man with deceitful and dirty, filthy, wicked hearts. And he says a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Now, a sanctuary is not only a place to worship. It's a place of safety, a place of peace. And all nations had that. All religions have had it. A sanctuary was where people could go and be protected. And you remember that David laid hold of the horns of the altar. And God gave them cities of refuge. And that's where the priests were, out in the Hawaiian Islands on the big island. I've been to that city of refuge. Why, the Hawaiians, long before they heard the gospel, why, they had a sanctuary, a city of refuge. My friend, these are difficult days. May I say to you, dangerous days. Can't walk the streets. A bomb may come out of the air from a nation on the other side of the world. Well, where in the world can we go? There is a sanctuary And that's the high throne of our God. That's the place that you and I can go. And he says that we are to come there. Let us come with boldness to his throne of grace. It's a sanctuary. It's a place of peace. It's a place of safety. May you find that peace and joy at that place, for it's the only place to go today. Now, friends, we come to the 18th chapter. And that's where we're going to have to stop. He did not do much for the ending of 17. You really have 17, 12 through 27. I would challenge you to read 17, 12 through 27 yourself. Read it. If you have any questions, thoughts, difficulties, please email them to me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And we will see if we can maybe work on that a little bit Sunday. I don't really want to, but if we need to, we will. The goal is, hang on, I think I got my book bag right here. Our goal, probably, most likely, Sunday morning, starting for the first hour at Victory Baptist Church on Sunday, we are going to be using the Explore the Bible Personal Study Guide for the summer of 2023. We're going to turn to page 46, and we're going all in on Jeremiah 18. That's our goal, is Jeremiah 18. That's what we're going to work on. We're not going to listen to Dr. J. Vernon McGee work on 18. We're going to do it ourselves. We may spend more time using the Explore the, the Bible Guide than we typically have. Every time I say we're going to do that, we read like one paragraph and then boom, we go off on our own direction. I may try to, I may try to smack myself on Sunday going, stay with the study guide and, until we need to deviate from it. 
but we will see. That's what we're going to work on. So the end of 17, you can work on that. But I I guess what I want to leave you with tonight is I really want you to just work, grab a piece of paper and I want you to map it out. I just like, how do you understand? What is your theological understanding of what happens in salvation? Do you believe you get a new nature? Do you believe you get a new heart? If you have a new heart and a new nature, are you saying the old is gone? You say, no, 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 no. The old, so I have two hearts. I have a new heart and an old heart. I have an old nature and have a new nature. Is heart and nature the same thing? Is heart and nature separate or are they synonymous? If it's synonymous, then are you saying that you have the old heart is still there, which is desperately wicked, but you have a new heart? So are you saying you have two hearts? Are you saying you have two natures? Did God just add a new nature there, but the old is still there? So now there's conflict? Now, if there's conflict, how does that conflict work? Because again, most pastors preach it as now you can, you can obey God. You can now say yes to God and no to sin. Okay, well, then if I can, then I can be perfect. Well, no, 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 no. You can't do it perfectly. Well, then if I can't do it perfectly, then why are you saying I can say no to sin? Because you're saying there's a limit to how much I can say no to sin there is. It's like Christians can't ever seem to articulate in any coherent, consistent way about exactly what you should expect as a Christian. Because on one hand, it's like, you got a new heart, you get a new nature, you can now say no to sin, you can say yes to God, you can do it. And then five seconds later, well, 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 I mean, you can't do it perfectly, you're still going to sin. So there's a limit, God now empowers you, but you still can't get to perfection. So there's a limit to God's power? So what do you think? Two natures, which equals two hearts? Are you saying two hearts, two natures? Are you saying a new nature, new heart, and the old heart, and the old nature is completely gone? Like, how how does it work practically? Positionally, we know how it works. In Christ, I'm a new creature. The old is gone. All is new. But that is speaking of me positionally. Because in Christ, I stand perfect, holy, obedient, righteous. Everything is good. In position and practice, we know it's nowhere close to accurate. We need to get that like once and for all understood. And if you see, he in Jeremiah, it doesn't say your hope is a new, like, in fact, I'm going to read that again in Jeremiah 17. Because it says, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. Right? In fact, like, let me go back here. Let me go back here. Jeremiah 17. Uh, let's see here. Let's go back to yeah, verse uh, 5. Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Don't trust in man. Don't trust in man. Don't trust in man. All right. Uh, Blessed is a man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Trust in God, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. God is those things. The heart. Don't trust in man. Don't trust in your own heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Now that should scare you to death. God 
tests the hearts. He searched the heart. He's going to give you what you deserve. Well, then you're going to get judgment. So what is your hope? That God will give you a new heart and you'll do the right thing? No, your hope is in God himself. And then that's where it says here, um, he says, uh, okay, uh, look at verse uh, verse 12. Look at verse 12, Jeremiah 17, 12. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. In other words, the hope here wasn't in what God was going to do in them. So now that they'll be all good people, the hope was in God himself. Is your hope in your Christian life is that God now gives you the ability to obey or is your hope in God who obeyed for you and in him you are forgiven and in him you're declared to be perfect even though you're not? These are important concepts and, and the church constantly preaches that, hey, 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 your heart was, basically this is the way Christ, Christians preach it. Your heart used to be desperately wicked. Your heart used to be deceitful above all things, but now you have a new heart. You used to be a sinner and bondage to sin, but now you've been set free. So now you can say yes to God, yes to, uh, yeah, yes to God, no to sin. You can serve God and you have a new heart. You have a new na- nature. You can do it. But then we keep failing, failing, failing. So then they back up and go, whoa, 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 wait. I mean, you still have an old, na- old nature. Well, wait a minute. I thought I said I had a new nature. Well, I mean, you're st- you still can't be perfect. Well, if I cannot be perfect, then I'm still in bondage. <laughs> You can't say I've been set free practically if you then say you cannot stop sinning perfectly. That if I can't get to perfection, then I'm still in bondage to sin. Now, I'm not in bondage positionally. So we've got to figure that out. And I I can't seem to convince Christians of the significance of trying to figure that out and mapping. Nobody wants to map it out. Nobody. Everybody just wants to make it. It's not simple. And just note, when Dr. J. Vernon McGee started talking all about that, he did not get that from Jeremiah. Jeremiah doesn't mention anything that he mentioned. Just don't trust in man. Don't trust in your own heart. Trust in God. Because God is your righteousness. God is your perfection. God is your obedience. All right. You can email me. On Sunday, it's Jeremiah 18. Your your assignment... All right, remember to identify the 13 famines found in Scripture. All right, see what caused them and see it. Do they picture a, the literal famine, the literal droughts? Do they picture the spiritual condition of the people? And have you ever found yourself in a spiritual famine or a, or a spiritual drought? Remember in Jeremiah 14. In Jeremiah 14, um, I want you to look at the, the false prophets, how the false prophets are described. All right. Um, the false prophets, he says, uh, Jeremiah 14, 14. Then the Lord said unto me, the prophets prophesy in my name. I want you to remember the methods the false prophets use. They prophesy in God's name, even though they're false prophets. They claim to have received a vision from God, right? But it's not truly, but they claim to have been given a vision. They Divination, they're having some supernatural, some kind of mystical experience, supposedly giving them information, but ultimately they're, they're, they're operating from the deceit of their own heart, from the deception of their own heart. Remember the four basically ways false prophets operate. Remember those four, write them down. So identify the 13 famines, 
Ask yourself, does that, those actual famines picture the spiritual condition of the people? And have you ever experienced that spiritual condition? Remember the ways, the, the four uh, ways that the false prophets operate? Then I want you to ask yourself, have you ever, uh, let me see if I can find it. If I can find it, is it chapter 15 or is it 14? Is it 14? Let me see here. Um, is it chapter 14? I'm going to find the actual verse. I should have written it down. Right. No, let's see here. I think it's chapter 15. Yes, chapter 15, verse 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Have you ever truly felt God's word being the joy and rejoicing of your heart, even though everything around you is falling apart and everything is horrible? Okay, I want you to know, have you truly experienced that? I want you, I want you to look at the famine situation, the mode of operating for the, for the false prophets, and then has God's word ever been the joy and rejoicing of your heart? And then I want you to consider in salvation, do you get a new heart? Do you not get a new heart? Like, I want you to map all of that out and figure how that works, right? There may have been one more thing I want you to look at, but I think that's all of the major assignments I gave you. I think that's all of them. If I missed one, woe is me. I should have been writing them down. There you go. All right. Email me. News. Oh, that was the last assignment. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. I want you to read. Jeremiah 17. I want you to read carefully um, verses 12 to 27. 12 to 27. 12 to 27. So let's just write down all of our assignments here really quick. All right. You ready? Let's write down all of our assignments. The 13 famines, the four ways, false prophets operate, right? The 13 famines, you got to go that find the 13 famines in scripture, not just in the book of Jeremiah. There's 13 supposedly in the, in all of God's word, there's 13 famines, find them. And then ask yourself, does these literal physical famine droughts picture the spiritual condition of the people? And have you ever experienced spiritual drought and famine in your own life? Then I want you to note carefully the four ways in which the false prophets operate. Jeremiah 14, 14. All right. We, we talked about them, that they oper- they, they, they're going to uh, say that they're doing things in God's name. They're going to claim they have a vision from God. They're using some kind of spiritual, supernatural experience, and they're operating from the deceit of their own heart. All right. Then in chapter 15, verse 16, chapter 15, verse 16, uh, I want you to look at that verse when he says, thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I want you to think, has there ever been a time that God's word was your joy and rejoicing no matter how bad your circumstances were? And if not, why not? Then I want you to read chapter 17, verses 20, see Jeremiah 17, where was it? Verse, which verse did I want you to start in? Jeremiah 17. Where do we want to start? Go to, let's see here. Where do I want you to start? Jeremiah 17. 
Let's go verse 12, Jeremiah 17, verse 12 to 27. Jeremiah 12 to 27. I just want you to read it. Think about it if you have any questions. And then finally, I want you to map out this. What? How do we understand yourself as a Christian? Do you have a new nature, an old nature? They're both there. Do you have a new heart, an old heart? How does that work? Do you just still have the old nature? Do you still have the old heart? Is heart and nature synonymous? How does all that work itself out? Those are your assignments. You've got till Sunday to have those finished. Get to work. Email me your finished work. News, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. Those are um, pretty simple assignments, nothing major, but should give you plenty to work on. All right. Sunday, we'll be ready for Jeremiah 18. That's where we're going. All right. Thanks for listening. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's a lot of teaching today. Hopefully, I've said something that's been beneficial. Hopefully, you've benefited from something we have done. If you have benefited, always feel free to support what we're doing uh, in any way that you see fit because we greatly appreciate that. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.